Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to the Word on Wednesday, where we have been studying the book of 1 Samuel, and our title of uh, our study has been Transition to Transformation. Good evening, I'm Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and we are delighted to be with you tonight. Uh, We have been on a long journey, and I'll recap everything that we've done in just a few minutes, but first, let's start out with a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you because you are faithful. You have guided us through this study. You have revealed your word to us. You've spoke with us and showed us what your word means and how to apply it to our lives, and we thank you. You've strengthened us through this word, and we thank you. You've caused us to focus in on you and being obedient to you, and we thank you. You've shown us, oh God, that that throughout our lives that you are in the background working on our behalf even when we don't see you, and we give you thanks. We praise you that you are a great God. You are an awesome God. You are the God of transformation. You are a God who will restore. You are a God who will warn us when we're going out of the way. You are a God who intercedes on our behalf. You are our protector. You comfort us when we're down and lift us up. You show yourself strong on our behalf. There is none like you. And so we bless you and we praise you. You are faithful unto your children. Your word reminds us that even when we are faithless, you are faithful because you will not deny yourself. Your character speaks for you. Your word goes forth with power and does not return void, but accomplishes its purpose. So we thank you and we bless you. O God, our God, how excellent is your way in all the earth. Now, Father, as we come to a conclusion of this particular study, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would continue to to reveal yourself to us, that you would show us, O God, what it is that we need to do and where we've gone off the path, and then encourage us in the places that we are when we are right. God, how we thank you. Allow your spirit to go into the deep places of our life that we might be strengthened. Oh, help us today to understand and apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a long journey. I, I don't, I, I've restarted, I think, somewhere back around the April time period, maybe April, May, something like that. We started this book as far back as April. And each Wednesday night, we've been coming to you, sharing with you this word. And as we have shared this word with you, we have been just blessed tremendously. We have been blessed so much that that, that it's just unbelievable. And and so tonight as we conclude, I want to, first I want to do what I need to do, and that is invite somebody to accept Christ. If you're listening out there and you don't know what, what God has done for this world, I want to tell you that he loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. What do I mean by that? Why did his son have to die? 
because we sinned and we had separated ourselves from God. But God so desires us that he promised a, a deliverer. He promised that we would be rescued. And he sent his son to pay for our sin. You see, when we sin, the only thing that can that can pay for our sins is somebody dying. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And so death is what we are owed because of our sin. Death is the consequence of sin. But God didn't want us to die. God wants us to live with him eternally. He wants to give us eternal life. And so he fixed it where his son would pay our sin penalty by dying, by hanging on a cross, by spilling his blood. He offered up his life for us that we could obtain this salvation. And his requirement of us getting the gift is very, very simple. That's to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to repent of our sins and ask him to be our Savior. And tonight, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus that God has given us tonight, tonight's the time for you to do that. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sins, you need, you need only confess that and by saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I ask him to be my Savior. I repent of my sins. Jesus, come into my heart. Live within. Lead me and guide me. Make me the person that God intended me to be. If you pray that prayer, God will honor it. Jesus will come into your life. He saves you. You've accepted that gift of salvation, and you become a son or daughter of God. If you've never done that before, tonight's the night that you need to do that. And then after you do that, what I want you to do is this. I want you to find a Christian friend. I want you to find so, uh, somebody that knows Christ already and tell them what you've done. Let them help you get into a fellowship, a church, or that will help you understand salvation even better. I need you to do that. I need you to, to, to give your life to Christ. Find a church home. Find a pastor. Find a pastor. Find somebody that can help you in your walk with Christ. They're out there. God has provided them for you. You'll be blessed. Okay. So tonight, we conclude 1 Samuel. I want to just walk back and show you where we started. We started under the premise that God is transforming a nation, that God is transforming a people, that he, was, he is moving to a different place. These people are moving to a different place in God. Before, when we started out, you had the 12 tribes of Israel in the promised land doing whatever they wanted to do and constantly on this vicious cycle of having the enemy move in because of their disobedience and enslave them. They would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer. Then they, uh, there would be relief. They would go along. They would act right for a few minutes and then fall back in their same sinful habits. And then another deliverer. So you had this cycle going on. Every man was doing what they wanted to do. And then God says, I'm going to change this nation. And he begins to work in the background. He starts with Hannah. He starts with the priesthood by preparing Samuel, the miraculous birth of Samuel, through Hannah's prayers that begin to, to, to move the priesthood to a different place. 
has the tribe start understanding that they're in a bad place because the Philistines are attacking them and taking from them. Moab is attacking and taking from them. The Amorites are attacking and taking from them. And so they decide when they see the Philistine confederacy that, that, that they want a king. Now, you've got God transforming the priesthood through Samuel. You've got God moving in a different way by allowing the people to ask, who have asked for a king to have a king. But he doesn't give them the king, the, the type of king that he wants them to have. He gives them the type of king that they ask for, one who will lead them out into battle. And so we begin to see the, the shape of the monarchy. As it goes on, we are introduced to David, a man after God's own heart. And around chapter 15, we begin to see how David and Saul are being transformed. David for life and blessings. Saul for death. You see, if we wanted to capitalize, or if we wanted to, to capture the, the, the main thrust of chapters 15 to 31, what they would be is, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. And we see Saul, who has initially, he had the anointing. He has the presence of God in his life. He has the power of God in his life. And we see that God gives him certain assignments. And rather than do what God wants him to do, to be a king who obeys the word of God, to be a king who understands that he's really not the king, he's God's representative on earth, Um, he's a viceroy. So he represents a king, but he's really not the king. Because he, he, if, if we wanted to put it in, in how we look at it in the church, he's not the shepherd. He's the under-shepherd. And so he decides that since I'm the king, I'm going to do it my way. The ways of man are not the ways of God. And that's something that that we should learn. And so Saul is caught up in his flesh. And we talked about the things that the flesh would produce. And everything that you can think of that the flesh would produce is produced in the life of Saul, who after he is disobedient, after he disobeys God, he rejects God. Samuel tells him, you have rejected the word of God, and God has rejected you. And so he winds up, the spirit of God departs from him. And an evil spirit moves in on Saul. And one of the things that we learned is that, you know, God, he don't play. When he gives us an assignment, when he tells us something that he wants us to do, when we send him, when he sends us a word, and we reject his word, we are really rebelling against God. Not only do we rebel against God, but we put ourselves in a position where we're God ourselves. We become our own gods. We decide, God, you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I know better than you. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more powerful than you, so I'm going to do what I want to do. That's rebellion, and he says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And so those of us who receive a word from God and then don't obey the word of God, literally what we're doing is we're practicing witchcraft because we're trying to manipulate something that we have no power over. And that's what you see in Saul. Time and time again, Saul's rebelliousness. And then you have David. Then you have David, a man after God's own heart, who hears the word. And and David, David, you know, a lot of us think think that you know David was, uh, and he was. A lot of us look at David and we we put we we say, oh, he's way up there and we way down here. We just like David. 
We're just like David. We have we have the capability to do exactly what David did. What did David do? David obeyed. David was a worshiper. David was a man of faith. He made mistakes. He made grievous mistakes in his lifetime. But David knew how to repent. David knew how to go before the Lord. And we have that same capability that when we love God and we mess up, we can go before the Lord because Jesus is there already interceding on our behalf. And he wants us to come to him. He wants us to confess our sins. He wants us because he's looking for an opportunity to forgive and restore us. I want you to think about something. I, I remember hearing uh, Bishop Brazier say this one time. Bishop Brazier was saying um, that why do we think that God would go through all of the trouble of saving us only for us to make a little mistake and then forget about us. No, there is a provision in the, that God always has. It's called grace. And he wants us to come to him and say, Lord, I ain't do what you said do. Lord, I messed up this time. Lord, I need your help on this one because I know that I'm wrong. The Holy Spirit has revealed to me. I, I just looked in your word, and I saw that I've been doing X when I should be doing Y. Or I knew I shouldn't have did that, but I did it anyway, and I'm sorry. God waits for us to come to rep in repentance because his goal is always restoration. He always wants us. He always loves us, even in our sin. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And David understands this. And so since he understands it, David goes full bore. David, I mean, David keeps the pedal to the metal, so to speak. And when you, and when you live a life like that, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to get tri tricked by the devil from time to time. But when your heart is toward God and you're always trying to please God, God's just waiting for you. And David's a man after God's own heart. And I came to, I came to remind you that you too are men and women after God's own heart. But we see the, dif the divergence in paths. And that's what, we're going to, that's what we get a chance to look at. We're going to summarize everything. I'm trying to summarize the book so those of you who go back and reread it can see the growth, the transformation, the separation, how the priesthood is moving in a different direction. And in, in 2 Samuel, you'll see how the priesthood is trans, well, no, it'll, it won't be in 2 Samuel, but the priesthood, how it transfers, how God's word is fulfilled. Remember when God told Samuel, uh, 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 he told Eli that he was snatching the priesthood from him, and Hopney and Phineas die. And then in First Samuel, the other thing that we saw is not all, all the priests know, those were, those were Eli's folks. Those were Eli's descendants that were all ripe, wiped out except for Abiathar. He's the only one that's left. And so God's word is coming to pass. And that when we left, we're going to pick up at 31, but in order to pick up at 31, I'm going to have to digress to 28 to just show you how they hook together. So let, let, let's, let's, get at, let's get at this because there's so much, so much to do tonight, so much to see. Open your Bibles up to uh, 1 Samuel, the last chapter, 1 Samuel, chapter 31. And I'm going to start reading at verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and Israel's fighting men fled before the Philistines, and they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. Let me, let's back up, because in chapter, we got to go all the way back to 28, because it's in chapter 28 that this battle uh, it begins to form. And he stops to, he, the, the, the writer stops in 28, and he starts talking about what's going on in David's life, how, how David got, was marching with the Philistines, but God interceded, and he, and he sent him back home. Go to 28, and he says, 
in chapter 28, verse 1, it says, And it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. This is the battle that they gathered for. All of the, the five cities, the five kings, uh, Gath, um, Ekron, Ashkelon, um, and I'm missing two, and I, I usually can call them off the top of my head. Ashkelon, Gath. Oh, there's two more in there. But all of those five kings, they, they had gathered together, they gathered their people together, and they marched against Saul. Now, one of the things I want to remind you of is that when God gives you a word, and his word has the capabilities of accomplishing what he sent it out to do, and you don't do what God says do. The enemy that God sends you after and you refuse to go after them is often the enemy that will defeat you. God has spoke a word to you and he's given you the victory. When he sends you after something, he don't just send you after after it by yourself. He sends his word. He sends his authority with you to overcome wherever he sends you to go, whoever he sends you to go against, whatever that demon's name is. God has said when he, when he assigned you that territory, that battle, that, 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 that thing, whatever it is, when he gives you his word and sends you toward it, he's sending you out not to be defeated, but to get the victory and give him glory. Remember what we said earlier? His word does not return void, but accomplishes his purpose. But when he gives you his word, you must act on his word by faith. You've got to go do it. Faith is not just believing what he says. Faith is doing what he says. That's faith. And so, and, and look, look, we're going to see what happens to, to, to Saul. Because what did, go to chapter, I believe it's chapter 9. Go to chapter 9 real quick. Let me show you something. Now, remember, he's fighting the Philistines. The Philistines lining up against him. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, where is it? Where is that? Um, back up a little bit. Hmm. Gotta find it. Gotta find it. Here it is. Look at verse 16. No, I'm going to read verse 15 to put it in a good context. Now the Lord had revealed in the ear of Samuel one day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you will anoint him to be leader over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come unto me. The initial calling of Saul, entailed an anointing that would enable him to deliver the people from the hand of the Philistines. Saul was anointed and appointed to defeat this particular enemy of God. That was his primary assignment. Now I know some of you say, "Well, but didn't he get out? Of, didn't he get out of whack when he when he didn't do what he said? Uh, disobeyed God concerning the Malachites? Yeah, that's when God said, "Okay, this guy ain't gonna do what I say to do at all. He doesn't believe me enough to go and go and wipe out the Philistines. He doesn't believe me enough to go and wipe out and do exactly utterly destroy the Amalekites. I can't use him because he won't do what I ask him to do." And who, who's he fighting against now? We're back in chapter 9 when he was given the assignment, and now we're in chapter 31, and here's that enemy that he has had the anointing to absolutely destroy, to deliver the people of God, and now this enemy is about to take him because of his disobedience. What am I saying to you tonight? What did God tell you to do? 
What has God empowered you to do? What has God said that you overcome? What, does God, what is the testimony that God wants to come out of your life that gives him glory and brings deliverance not just to you but to all those around you? As God transforms you, you see, we've been looking at, at the transformation that comes with Israel, and we've been looking at the transformation that comes with Saul and David. But what God really wants us to see is that he is at work transforming us, and we can either obey God, allow his word to dwell in us richly, respond by faith, and receive victory, or we can reject, rebel, and be defeated. That's really the message of 1 Samuel, how to go through the transformation process as God molds and shapes and forms them whom he loves. Because I'm convinced, I'm convinced that even though Saul was as demented as he was, that God still had a love in his heart for Saul. And that his purpose not being accomplished did not please him. God loves us so much. God loves us so much. Do you love God enough to obey him and allow him to to to, to transform you and make you into what he has called you to be. So the Philistines are lined up in battle. Saul is scared, and he winds up going to a witch. Last week we covered, while Saul is go wind up going to a witch, David is prostrate before God because Ziklag has been burned, and all of his wives and children and goods and the wives and children of his men have been taken. So what we see is how we respond to an enemy. When you walk with God, you can always get a word from God. When you don't walk with God, God don't talk to you. So we have David under attack, and he's He's getting a word from the Lord. We have Saul under attack, and Saul can't get a prayer through. And so he winds up going back to Samuel, and Samuel tells him, what you bother me for? He says, the word is already happening in your life. Tomorrow, in that battle that you're so scared of, you and your son's going to die. He took the road of disobedience. And the road of disobedience is not the road of life. It is the road to death. Now, let's go further into this chapter. So Saul got no choice. He's got to show up for the fight, even though he knows he's going to die. Now, don't get it in your mind that Saul, Saul was disobedient. He was a, but Saul was a warrior. Jonathan is a warrior. They're, these are not punks. But I've read about this battle out on Mount Gilboa, and it's a battle that where they have, they faced overwhelming odds. And let, before I go into it, let me let, let me just go ahead on and read it to you. And and to say one more thing. The lives of Saul and, and David, the, the activities that we're talking about, they are actually happening simultaneously. While Saul is at the Witch of Endor, David is on his knees because he had been kicked. Remember, in I think it's chapter 29, he had been sent back, yeah, he had been sent back home because uh, the Philistines didn't want him marching with them. And so he's marched two days. And while all of this is going on, because the, the Philistine army is moving into position, 
Saul sees them in position, and about the same time that Saul sees them in position and, and gets scared and goes down to the witch of Endor, uh, David is now before God, and God gives him the word that he will recover all and to go and pursue the enemy. So David is in pursuit of the enemy, and Saul is fearing the enemy. David is praying to God. Saul is consulting with the witch. You see how that, and, and all of this is happening simultaneously. It's not he did this and then that. No, David's in the south, and he's, he's, he's in a battle in the southern part of Israel in the land of Judah. The Philistines are moving north to fight Saul, and they're up around the area of Benjamin and Manasseh, up in that area. Up, in, up toward northern Israel. As a matter of fact, the battle takes place just south of the Sea of Galilee in Jezreel. So let's finish this. I'm, I'm, I'm taking too much time, but I'm trying to make us see what is actually happening. Um, now, when David and his men came, oh, no, that's 30, 30, excuse me, I'm sorry, 31. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and Israel's fighting men fled before the Philistines, and they fell slain on Mount Gibor. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed his son, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua, Saul's sons. The archers were heavy against, the battle was heavy against Saul. The archers found him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was very afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell upon it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died with his three sons and his armor bearer together with all his men on that same day. That's pretty self-explanatory. Saul's path, his disobedience, led him to death. All the fighting that he did to keep the kingdom, all the willful walking that he did, all the willful chasing to try to deny David the kingdom, to go against the word of God was for naught. Worse than that, he had concentrated so much on David that he forgot about the Philistines. And so this king who had the anointing to deliver his people from the Philistines chose to worship himself, chose to walk in his own ways, chose to be rebellious to God. And the result was that the word of the Lord prevailed. God pronounced judgment, and judgment was executed. You know, we oftentimes talk about the love of God in our lives and that God loves us. But God is also a God of justice and God is also a God of judgment. God will judge you. God judges his people. If he did not honor his word, he would not be God. And when God says something, he means what he says. And it's so important that we understand that. You know, we, we live in a time of grace. We take advantage of God's mercy. But one day, we have to account for what we've done. The good news is, is that those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we never face a judgment that, that, that takes us to hell. But instead, we appear at the bema seat of God, and God judges us based upon our works. You see, our salvation is secure. Our salvation is secure. I'm going to tell you now, according to the word of the Lord, those of us who believe God, who have placed our trust in God, 
we go to heaven. But how we exist in that heavenly state, state rather, do we get the rewards or do we get shame? When we stand before God and he, and he says, you know what, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you obey? Did you go out and witness like I said do? Did you, did you, were, you were you a prayer warrior? Did you, did, you, did you walk in your anointing? Did you accomplish the purpose that I placed in your life? And our works will be tried. And some, some of it's going to burn up because it's flesh. It's that wood, hay, and stubble that he talks about. And so rather than get a reward, we look and we say, oh, man, if I had just obeyed God, Look at what I would added to the kingdom. God would be proud of me now. I'd be getting these crowns of faithfulness and everything. But instead, I didn't do nothing with what God gave me. I didn't follow after his spirit. We don't walk to death, but we walk into life, but we but we're ashamed because we didn't do what God enabled us to do. I don't want that in my life. I, you know, all the crowns and stuff like that, it's, it's not to have a crown. It's not to have prestige or nothing like that. Ah, it's, it's nice. But I think uh, this is just Winfred now. I won't be responsible for keeping all them crowns, and then when we're worshiping and casting them crowns down, and everything, then somebody got to go pick all them things up. And I'm like, you know what, I, I, I just throw myself down on the ground so I can pick me up and I got to go find my crown and got to keep my robe right and all that. Ah, just let me do, just let me do good. Let me please God. It's not the reward I'm after. I want a good, a well done, now good and faithful servant. Come on up a little higher. I take that. And, you know, you know that's, that's all. We want to be pleasing to God. Saul's not pleasing to God. The people are being destroyed. He's being destroyed. His dynasty that he, that he had a chance to create taken from him because of his disobedience. Let me keep reading. I'm at verse, um, I'm at verse 7. When Israel's fighting men who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that Israel's fighting men fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned the cities and fled. So the Philistines came and lived in them. When we fail to do what God tells us to do, it not only impacts us, but it impacts others around us. The promise of God, all that God has given is destroyed by the enemy. Want to see an illustration of that? Look at our city right now. Look at Chicago right now. You might think that every time you hear about a young man or young lady getting shot or, or somebody getting killed in the city, that ain't no big deal. But that is our legacy being destroyed. Those are people who could be blessing the lives of the nation being destroyed. That little 15-year-old boy, that little 15-year-old boy could have within him the key to curing diseases. But he's dead now, and dying with him is that key. Look at our neighborhoods that have been abandoned and destroyed. Chatham, Inglewood, South Shore, uh, uh, the, on the west side, all of that beautiful, prosperous land, because we didn't obey God, because we didn't sit down with our children and, and share with them the word of God, because we didn't take them to church, because we didn't take them to Sunday school, because we got so engrossed in the ways of the world, we handed them over to the enemy, and the enemy is killing them and locking them up. The thief cometh not but to kill, steal, and destroy. And when we don't do as leaders, as mothers, and as fathers, 
as, as precinct captains and whatever title that we might hold, when we don't obey the word of the Lord, when we decide we're going to do it our way and become gods unto ourselves, we become just like Saul. When we elect pastors that don't have the word in them, when we allow people to sit in, on our boards that are more interested in the world than they are the things of God, and we don't discipline within the church, what we're doing is we're opening ourselves up for death and destruction, and we're going to wind up fleeing and abandoning just as, we, just as we've seen in the city. Run to the suburbs if you want to. You're just bringing the problem to the suburbs. Think back, and I'm old enough to think back when Harvey and Chicago Heights and and, and, and Ford Heights and all of those places were just glory. I mean, when you said you lived in Harvey, ooh, you were somebody. Now when you say you live in Harvey, people look down their nose at you. When you say you live in Country Club Hills, people are like, mm, must be uh, one of them, in one of them Section 8 houses or something. Everybody's, because why? Because we continue to run and not do what God says do, and that is take a stand for righteousness, to live righteous, to teach our children what it's like to be righteous before God, to show forth the love of God in our communities, to live according to the word of God. When we don't do that, we're just like Saul, and we open up the door to destruction, and I don't care how far you run away, you can run all the way down the Carbondale, as far south as you can get. That devil is going to be with you. That destruction is going to be with you, and that's just the way it is. What else happened? Look at South Shore. I want you all to watch South Shore. I want you to watch it in Inglewood. And I'm not saying that the white people is Philistines. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that our stuff is being taken from us. Bronzeville will be taken from us. The West Side will be taken from us. All of those places that used to be ours, no more. The price that's out of them. Look at what they've done to over in Cabrini Green. It used to be, you know, if you said you lived over in that area, you didn't want nobody to know that. Now if you live over there, you better have some money. Because apartments over there, one-bedroom apartments, that, used to, that you couldn't give away back in the day, one-bedroom apartments. $2,000 a month. That was ours. That's right. They fled and ran away because we didn't honor God. Verse 8. The following day, well, let me back up for a second. Why do you think that um, Saul committed suicide rather than let the enemy kill him? Let me tell you what they would do back then. And it was, because I've often said, man, that was a punk's way out. He should have fought. Had they captured him, they were going to torture him. And they had some very, very terrible ways of torturing you. They would mutilate you first while you were alive. You've seen the stories of how they cut your toes off so you couldn't walk. They would but like, look at what they did to Samson. They gouged Samson's eyes out and then paraded him around and made sport with him. And making sport with him doesn't mean that they just talked about him. No. Mm -mm. They cut him and beat him and kicked him. It was almost as if Samson and, and, and in battle, it's almost worse like the stuff that they did to Jesus going to Calvary. But one of the things that they would do, uh, the Philistines would do, is they would they would cut you up, they would cut off your genitalia, they would cut limbs off, they would do whatever they could. And finally, it always ended up the same way. After they had did everything to you that they wanted to do, then they cut your head off. And look what they do to look what they do to to um, to Saul. 
The following day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent them into the land of the Philistines round about to make it known in the house of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the house of Ashtoreth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now, we've covered this before, but in, in battle, in, 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 their, in, in their way of thought, the battle was taking place not just in the earth realm, but the battle was taking place in the heavenly realm. And the Philistine, it was the Philistine God versus the God of Israel. And what they say here, what they're proclaiming is that our God beat your God. And so they take this, his armor and almost as if it's an offering to their God and they're worshiping them because what that their God enabled them to have this victory, and we covered this uh, way back in chapter eight and chapter nine um, that no, their God never defeated our God because their God is not a God at all. This was God Himself allowing His word to come to pass to accomplish His purposes. But when your mind is blinded and and you don't understand the things of God and the way God operates. It's not God being defeated. It's God's word coming to pass. And in your lives, even today, don't you think that God ain't involved in what's going on? Don't you think that God is not involved in every defeat that you think you are suffering? Don't you think that God is not involved in every victory that you have gained? It is the word of God. It is God himself being involved in your life. So be like the Philistines and think they done did something and get to celebrating. God is allowing them to occupy temporarily. Because if you were with me in the, in the, in the, in the weeks before, before, what you know is that God is working through David and setting David up, and he's allowing him to build up so he can make his entry, and we're going to see that. We're going to see that in Second Samuel. But in the meantime, let them, let them celebrate. They don't even know what they celebrate. They don't even know that it was a setup from the Lord. I know sometimes on your job, sometimes on your job and sometimes in your lives with pe- and dealing with people, and you know what? Quit thinking that you're dealing with people. You're dealing with the spirits that are controlling the people. That's why uh, in Ephesians it tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what you're really wrestling with. So you need to learn how to look past the people and see the spirit that God has anointed you to overcome in the spirit. Think about that. You see, that's why it's necessary to put on the full arm of God, and it's also necessary to pray in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's why it's necessary to be a worship and, and, and sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, because that's what's going to build you up as you move toward your victory in God. And when when it looks like you're being defeated, you ain't being defeated. You're being positioned. When it looks like they're getting all the promotions, you're being positioned. When it looks like, you know, and so don't don't cry worship. Don't get all upset because you didn't get the promotion. It wasn't none of your promotion. If God wanted to promote you, you would have had it. But God wanted you there because he's got something for you to do that brings him glory. You're all right. It's all right. Let the devil dance. In just a few, few minutes, oh, it's just, I just say, that's just temporary. God is positioning you who are people of faith, who are person of faith, to receive his blessing. He had him, that he had that stuff. Let me give you the, the, the final part of it because I'm getting down to time. This, this last section is something good that we can say about Saul. A lot of, you know, 
he, he messed up. He has reaped what he sowed. But this last point shows that everything that a disobedient, a disobedient person reaps is not all bad. Somebody, there's somebody that's going to remember him. It says, when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night, and they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his son from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they mourned fasting seven days. Now, why, why do you say he reaps what he has sown? The same people that he went and defended now go and defend his remains. Remember, um, I forget the chapter, but the Ammonites, Nahash the Ammonite, had come to the people of Jabesh Gilead, and he told them that he was going to destroy them and he made a treaty, with, and he says, I'll make a treaty with you. And the only way I'll make a treaty with you is if, you, if, we, if I could put out your eye. Remember that? And they asked for time to find somebody to deliver them, and Saul came and fought and killed Nahash the Amorite, Amorite and, and saved the people of Jabesh Gilead. Remember that? Now these same people feel that they owe Saul to not have his body desecrated like that. And so they come and they take that body. They go all night, and it's a dangerous journey because to go from Jabesh Gilead down to, um, to Beth Shan, they have to walk through the night, and then they also have to go in the night and cross the Jordan. There's some symbolic stuff in there. They cross the Jordan is a place of death, and they cross that place of death to get to him who is dead to bring him back, to give him a semblance of a proper burial. He sowed goodness there, and so that's the goodness that he reaped from those people. So he was, on, he, but he was honored in that way. But he didn't get the king's burial. He didn't get a king's burial. Jonathan didn't get the burial of a prince. Because when we, get, when we finally get to the point where David uh, dies, what we'll see without most kings is, and they rested with their fathers. But Saul doesn't get that type of burial, and he doesn't receive that type of rest. They bury his bones. They burn. They didn't cremate him. They burned the flesh off his body and because of the, the mutilation and because of what happens uh, with when, when the body is not properly cared for after death. Because of all the decay and what, what have you that was on that body, they just burned and buried his bones. Same thing with Jonathan. I don't know about you. But living a life of disobedience doesn't lead to any reward. I don't know what's going to happen to me in my latter days. I don't know how I'm leaving away from here. But I want to leave away from here with a testimony that I was faithful unto death. I want to leave away from here not having lived the perfect life, but having lived a life of being perfected. I want to live away from here if if I'm, and I'm just going to make up a number, if I'm one-eighth holy right now, if there's an eighth part of me that's holy, I want to live, live away from here if I leave 10 years from now at least being three-eighths holy or maybe four-eighths, you know. I want to leave away from here progressing in holiness, progressing in obedience, progressing in doing the will of God, pro progressing in the knowledge of God. 
I want them to believe away from me not having the reputation of being a rebellious, fleshly individual who did what I wanted to do, but one who acknowledged the sovereignty of God, one who acknowledged the holiness of God, one who acknowledged that God, it is God in him that I live, move, and have my being. I want to leave progressing. How about you? Or do you want to regress? Do you want to live a life where you've planted fleshly things? And, uh, and as they say, when you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That's what we see. In the end, we see a corrupted piece of flesh and not the king that Saul was anointed to be. Not the overcomer that Saul could have been, but the defeated, schizophrenic, scary king detached from God. That's what we see of Saul. But all is not lost. All is not lost. The book of Samuel is not closed. Because after 1 Samuel comes 2 Samuel. And what we get a chance to continue to see is the transforming power of God coming together and being led by David. Even right now, the tribes are not yet together. They're still scattered. They're still running. They're not unified. The enemy is still in control. The enemy was in control when we opened the book, and the enemy is in control when we close the book. But remember I shared with you that Samuel is made up of First and Second Samuel. We just divided it. And so in a couple of weeks, we'll be going back into Second Samuel. The next two weeks, we'll be uh, just spending some time in worship with um, we'll be spending some time in worship with in the Psalms, and you guys know I love the Psalms. And then after that, we'll be coming back with a reconstituted group. And what I'm doing right now is I am soliciting people to join me on the blog talk portion of the um, of this Bible study, so we can hear what you are experiencing doing the Bible study. So literally what we'll have is truly a virtual participatory Bible study. I'll give you a number. Those of you volunteering to, to do this, I'm going to give you the call-in number, and that call-in number, I'll give it to you right now. I'll be giving it to you over the next couple of weeks as I explain this further because I'm running out of time. It's 425, no, it's 929-477-2304. And what you'll be doing is you'll be calling in. You'll sit on the line. When you have something that you want to say, uh, there's a way that you could signal me. Uh, or basically what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be dragging some stuff out of you because I'm going to be asking some questions, and I'll be asking questions of individuals uh, and leaving a discussion after we frame up the Bible so you can share what God is saying to you concerning the passage of Scripture, what you have unearthed. And it's going out there than it has been in the past. So that's literally what we're doing uh, with the Bible study in about probably about two, three weeks. I'll give you exact times over the next couple of weeks because I know we want to just cool off just for a second or two on the um, – um, um, I want to cool off for a second or two, and I want to thank God for what he's done over the next two weeks in First Samuel before we just dive immediately into Second Samuel. Amen. Okay. So let's pray for a second as we close out tonight. I thank you for being with me tonight. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you that you warn us about the paths, that there's a path that leads to death and there's a path that leads lead to life and blessings. We want that path to life and blessings. We thank you that you give us our whole, the, your Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. Now, Father, let us walk with your spirit. Let us walk in your spirit. Let us follow hard after you and join you in your plan. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I bless you tonight. You know what I'm getting ready to do. I'm going to number six. Number six, what does it tell us? I got to give you a blessing before I get off. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance toward you and give you peace. That's to you, your family, neighbors, community, and everyone you come in contact with. Walk in the blessing, and thank you for being with me tonight. This has been Pastor Winfred Burns with the Word on Wednesday. Bless you.